Well, does anyone here, I mean, anyone here recognize the name Nicholas Herman? And anyone, Nicholas Herman? No? I didn't expect anyone would recognize the name. He was, he was a, a French peasant from the 1600s. Um, no education, no skills, basically grew up very poor, malnourished. The only thing that he could think to do to survive was to join the army, and so he did. Uh, he joined the army, which was a bad time to join the army because the Thirty Years' War was going on, which for you history buffs out there, that was when France was fighting a couple other European powers trying to consolidate power there. Um, and Nicholas was injured in the fighting, and he was injured pretty bad, and so he couldn't be a soldier anymore. They discharged him from the army, and he couldn't find work anywhere else, and the only thing that he could find to do was basically to sit and babysit the horses of the nobles. He became a footman, a valet, and so rain or shine, hot or cold, he would be out with the horses when all the nobles would kind of gather at their parties, and he would oversee these horses. Now, to Nicholas's credit, he was very thankful that he had a job, and he tried to do the job to the best of his ability and maintain an attitude of thankfulness while he worked. And that's a little bit of what we're going to be talking about tonight, is our work and our attitudes, how we work. We're in the middle of a sermon series called Alien Invasion, which is all about how we are to live our lives in such a way that we are set apart, we are different than the people in the world around us. How we can be bringers of light and truth and love and peace and hope as we go about our daily lives, wherever we are. Because as our verse that we're memorizing first Peter chapter 2, 11 and 12, we're aliens and strangers, right? And we are just passing through this world, and our conduct is supposed to bring glory to God. So tonight, we are going to learn a little bit about how we work is one of those ways that we can bring glory to God. So first, we're going to look at God's original design for work, and we're going to talk a little bit about his righteous plan for work, and then we're going to see how, because of our disobedience, we ruined work, and then we're going to talk about how Jesus redeemed our work, and how that is supposed to guide us today as we go about doing the jobs that God gives us. So that's our little outline. So we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 1, right there in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, and as you're turning to Genesis chapter 1, I'm going to pray. Father, we praise you, Lord, that you are the God of work. That the first thing we see you doing is creating. And we thank you that you have given us jobs to do. And Lord, now as I stand here and I speak, and I teach your word, I pray, Lord, that I would be wholly yielded to you, God, and that your spirit would be working in me and moving through me, and that the words that I speak would be your words, Father. 
And I pray that your spirit would also be moving in each of our hearts, that we would not go from here unchanged, that we would be transformed, we'd be encouraged that no matter what job we may have, we can bring you glory in it. We thank you for that, Lord, and we bring this all before your throne in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, I'm pretty sure that uh, most of you are familiar with the creation account, so we're just going to kind of skip ahead right to day six in chapter one, verses 27 and 28, where we see at the pinnacle of creation, God is creating man. He's creating humans, and we pick up the text in Genesis chapter one, verses 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We're going to stop there. Let's flip over to chapter 2. Chapter 1 is kind of the creation account from the high level, big picture. Chapter 2 zooms in specifically on day 6 with the creation of man in particular. And so now let's start at verse 5 of chapter 2. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Skip down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Now, between these sections of Scripture, there's a couple of very important things that we need to see for us to begin to develop a proper theology of work, an understanding of what God's intentions are for us as we do the jobs that he calls us to do. And the first thing that I want us to see is when God gave us work. Contrary to what some of us might think, um, work was given to us as part of God's good plan. Recognize that we hadn't disobeyed God yet. So work was there from the very beginning, and it, was, it wasn't a punishment like some of us think it is. <laughs> a couple weeks ago, um, my family was blessed to have a number of volunteers from the Mulch Madness come over to our house and to help um, spread some mulch. And so I was out there 
working alongside them with some of my kids, and I noticed almost immediately, as soon as these volunteers started working, that one of my children was just watching them with kind of like a really concerned look on their face and kind of, you know, unsure look. And so I was watching my child watch these volunteers, and I asked him, I said, hey, uh, what, what's up? What's going on? Why are you, you seem kind of nervous with all of these people here? And my child looked at me with a very concerned, very serious look and said, Dad, what did all of these people do wrong that you are putting them to work at our house? <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> Obviously, my child hasn't learned the joy of volunteering <laughs> and good old-fashioned yard work. Um, but, but that's the attitude that I think a lot of us have sometimes, that work is a punishment, that it's something that we're doing because we've messed up and it's just this punishment for our disobedience. But it's not. Work isn't a punishment. We're going to talk about the punishment in a little bit, but... but our work and all work, whatever our job may be, it's a gift from God. It's a part of his righteous design for us, for humanity. And the Lord gave Adam and Eve several jobs. He gives humanity several jobs that he wants them to do. And we're going to look at these jobs right now. What, what are they? What are those jobs? Well, the first set we see in chapter 1, in verses 27 through 28, and that they consist of being fruitful and multiplying and subduing the earth and having dominion over the earth. We're not going to dive into each one of those things, but what's important is that in the ancient Near East, all of these terms, all of these jobs were jobs that were exclusively the king's. These jobs were always used to describe the role and duty of the kings in the ancient world or the representatives of the kings, the people who the king put in place, like his governors, his lieutenants. And that's, that's a big deal because what God is saying here is that humanity, you are my representatives on earth. You have the job of representing me while you are going about and working on the earth. And it's important that we recognize that as we develop this theology of work because if we don't see ourselves as representatives of the Lord as we undertake our work, whatever that job may be, our entire perspective is going to be wrong. If we, don't, if we don't see ourselves as, when I'm doing my job, I'm actually representing my God, then I'm gonna have, my perspective on work is going to be off. It's going to be about me instead of about who I represent. Do we see why that's a big deal? Do we see why that's important? When we have the proper perspective on who we're representing, it goes a long way to helping us not fall into some of the pitfalls that we're going to be talking about at the end of this little sermon here. But I want to turn over to Genesis 2.15, and I want to dive into these two jobs in particular that he gives to Adam in this verse. He gives Adam the jobs of working and keeping the garden. 
Well, what, what do those two words mean? Well, the first Hebrew word, work, and it's the same verse used, uh, word used in verse 5, by the way, so it's the same word there. This j- word, it means to cultivate. To cultivate something for a specific purpose. To cultivate it in such a way as to prepare it for something. And sometimes, in some of the translations, it's actually translated as tend or dress. And the way this was used in the ancient world, it was typically used to refer to a servant who was preparing something for a specific use for the servant's master. That's that's how this word was used. So Adam, we see here, is not only a representative of God, but he is also to be a servant of God in the garden as, as he's preparing the garden for all of its intended uses. The chief of which was for God's glory to be shown and God's glory to be seen and to prepare it for God to dwell there. In chapter 3, it says that God was walking in the garden. So that was a dwelling place of God. But it was also intended for Adam and Eve to enjoy and to be sustained by. So it was Adam's job to prepare the garden for all of its intended uses that it's, his master had for the garden. And, and we got to remember here that the garden wasn't just some lush jungle. It wasn't a jungle. It was an intentionally planted area where God designed it to show his glory. The tree of life and knowledge were in the center. There were, there were rivers running through it all. It wasn't just like some wilderness. This was a garden that God planted and that he had man to maintain and prepare for him. But the second word here is keep. And this word means to guard or protect. See, not only was Adam to prepare and sanctify the garden for the presence of God, but he was also to preserve and protect the garden from the encroachment of evil. A task that he, unfortunately, he failed in because in chapter 3, he failed in protecting his wife from being deceived by the enemy and falling into sin. But, but we see here that there's this, this work of preservation and this work of protection that we as the servants of God are called to address in whatever our job may be. And, and this is really, really important point here. These two jobs, working and keeping, preparing and preserving, these jobs undergird every single job that any of us will ever have. So, if my job is to be an attorney, that is how my actual job of preparing and preserving is being lived out. That is built on top of the job of preparing and preserving. If my job is to be a photographer, then my photography is supposed to be done in such a way that I am preparing and preserving my workplace for God. Do, do we understand this? This is the foundation for everything that we're doing. Every job that humanity will ever have is built on the foundation of pre- preparing and preserving. 
really important point for us to understand as we develop our theology of work so that we know how to go and do what we're supposed to do. Now, one more, one more, I think it's pretty neat, but I'm a dork, so. Um, <laughs> both of these words, work and keep, they're also used to describe the priests and the Levites and their duties in the temple, in the tabernacle. So the garden, as the dwelling place of God, was replaced by the tabernacle. The tabernacle would be replaced by the temple. That's significant. So we see that these, we're not just called to be representatives of God in his kingly capacity, but we are also having the priestly duties that God gave to the Levites as well. It says in Numbers, just as an example of how these words are used, they shall keep guard over him and over the whole congregation before the tent of meeting as they minister at the tabernacle. They shall guard all the furnishings of the tent of meeting and keep guard over the people of Israel as they minister at the tabernacle. There are those two words, work and keep. They're translated a little bit differently, but they're the same exact Hebrew words there. And this is a big deal. Did you notice that it's not just the tabernacle that they're working and keeping? They're also working and keeping the people as well. And so our job, our, under, our underlying work to prepare and to preserve is not just the environment that we work in, but it's also the people with whom we're working with. All right? Unfortunately, <laughs> Adam and Eve, they, they failed at this. They failed in their priestly duties to prepare and preserve the garden when the enemy successfully deceived them. And so now we turn to chapter 3 and we see how work was ruined. The ease of work was ruined. And I would encourage you to read the story on your own, but we're going to pick it up in verse 16, where God is giving the consequences of Adam and Eve's disobedience. He's, he's giving the consequences, the curses. And we start in verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all of the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now, I want us to see here that these curses affected all aspects of the work that God gave us to do. First, we're going to look at the curse on the woman. The work of multiplying 
and, and having dominion over the world, we need to make this correlation that we got in Genesis chapter 1 is addressed in the first curse on the woman. Instead of being able to multiply and have dominion with ease, now there is pain introduced. There's pain in child birthing and child raising. And if you are unable to have children, there's a lot of emotional pain in that. All of that, all of that is part of the consequence of sin. I mean, ladies, I know that we have the epidural today, <laughs> but there's a lot of pain involved with raising kids, having kids, and not being able to have kids. I remember, <laughs> I remember when my first child was born. And um, my first child, I have, I have four children, so... Um, and I got to tell you, it was, a pretty, it was a pretty trying experience for me, all right? My wife, it was, I'll never forget it. It was a Sunday morning. She woke me up early. I didn't get to sleep in. And she said, hey, I think I'm having the baby. So we get in the car, and we're on the way to the hospital, and her water breaks in the car, gets my car filthy, And we get to the hospital. I'm kind of driving like a maniac. And, you know, praise God, we got there in one piece. And we get to the hospital, and we tell the doctor, hey, you know, I think, I think she's having the baby. And the doctor's like, yeah, she's having the baby. She's fully dilated, and she's ready to start pushing, like, right now. So my wife's an animal. She's amazing. Um, so we, we get upstairs. We get up into the delivery room, and... There's no time for anything. There's no time to set up all the equipment. There's no time for an epidural. There's not even time for the doctor to get there, okay? So we, we are just kind of running around like crazy trying to get situated, right? And I'm there, and I'm trying to hold her hand, and I'm like, you know, I'm doing the breathing thing, you know, like... Right? Trying to, trying to be the good husband here. And she's looking at me with a look on her face that says, like, that isn't helping at all type of thing. And um, pretty soon she starts pushing, and I'm watching, and it's amazing. And, and this nurse, who wasn't doing anything else at all, she's not doing anything else at all this entire time, and she looks at me, and she gets this real concerned look on her face, and she kind of comes over to me, and she looks at me, and she says, are you, are you okay? You look a little pale. So she's, she's telling this to me, and she's kind of ignoring my wife, which seemed a little strange to me, right? Um, but the point, of, the point of this is that after our baby was born and, you know, I kind of went through that whole ordeal, I, I realized that childbirth is, is, is painful, right? It was pretty hard on me. I, I had to, you know, work through some things there. But all, all of the joking aside, <laughs> right, the, the punishment of this pain in childbirth and raising kids, and 
not being able to have kids, that, that is all the result of sin. That's all the result of sin. That wasn't God's original design. There wasn't supposed to be this pain. And then on, on the flip side, we have the curse on man. And ladies, I'm pretty sure that you're going to argue that the curse on your end of the equation is a lot worse. Okay, I'm not going to argue with you there. <laughs> but for guys, instead of bringing forth children in pain, we are bringing forth food in pain. <laughs> we are going to have pain as we work the ground, as we go about our jobs. And instead of good fruit, we now have to contend with the thorns and thistles of this world, these things that are impediments to receiving the benefit of, of our hard work. And instead of uh, being able to just freely enjoy, there's always going to be this constant encroaching upon the fruit of our labors by these thorns and thistles. And what, what, what are thorns and thistles? Well, think of them like the boss who's a jerk or, you know, difficult working conditions or um, lazy co-workers or um, those customers who you just wish weren't your customers. Some of you probably know what I'm talking about, right? Um, these are the thorns and the thistles of our work. And so there are uh, categories both categories, our, our, our kingly responsibilities and our priestly responsibilities, both of them have been affected by our disobedience. Both of them now have pain introduced. Pain is the curse. Pain is the consequence, not the work itself. And the Hebrew word in both of these things, pain, is exactly the same. What does it mean? It means frustration hardship, toil. In fact, some of your translations might actually say painful toil in verse 17. So recognize that work itself is not a curse. It's the pain through which we now will have to go through this life and accomplish all of the things that we're called to do. That is the curse. The ease of our work was ruined by the curse when God was disobeyed. And on top of that, Adam and Eve were thrown out of the garden. They're thrown out of the garden. They're, they're thrown to the east, which is almost always the direction that represents being taken out of God's favor, out of God's presence. And if you look at verse 24, what happens? An angel is put at the entrance of the garden in order to protect it, to guard it. Now, whose job was that supposed to be? That was supposed to be our job, but we forfeited that with regard to the garden specifically. So God had a righteous plan for work, but it was ruined by man's disobedience. Thankfully, and this, is, this should bring a smile to our face, thankfully God knew this, he had a plan, this wasn't a surprise, and he sent his son to redeem everything, including our work, including our work. And so he sent Christ, Christ lived a perfect life, he, he died a death in our place, 
so that the consequences of our sin, the consequences of our disobedience would be broken and we would now be able to live redeemed. We would now be able to live and work in a redeemed way. And when Jesus broke the power of the curse, the Gospels tell us that at that moment, at that instant, the veil in the temple was torn. Now, why is that? Why is that significance for a conversation on work? Well, that's important because that means that, remember, after the garden, which was a sacred, holy place where the presence of God walked, where he dwelled, The tabernacle took the place of the garden, and over the Ark of the Covenant, God dwelled in the tabernacle, and then it was in the Jerusalem temple where God's presence dwelt in the Holy of Holies. When the veil was torn, God's presence was no longer just in the Holy of Holies. God's presence now went out to indwell every single man and woman who puts their faith in Jesus and who follows him and who is a child of God. That's, that's very important because now the garden that we are preparing and preserving is actually within us. Ephesians 2 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And 1 Corinthians 3 adds, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? See, we we are now the temple of God. We are now the garden in which he walks. And we are called to prepare and to preserve, to, to work and to keep not only ourselves, but Every space that we enter into, every job that we are given is an outgrowth of that garden. We're to prepare and preserve that space wherever we may be because God's presence is now going with us. That is the identity of a child of God, that that we're his garden and we have work to do to keep those gardens pure and holy. And again, that includes the people who we are coming in contact with. And so this this really should begin to produce within us a mindset of serving God in everything that we do. No matter what we may be doing, whether whether it's it's just a, a really lousy job, maybe we're demeaned in our job, maybe we're discouraged by it, maybe we just we just don't like it. When we begin to recognize our identity as the gardens of God, and we have a responsibility to prepare and preserve this sacred space that is kind of going along with us, that should change the way we view the jobs that we have. That should change those things. Colossians 3 says, this is our mindset, whatever you do, work heartily 
as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So we are representatives and servants of Jesus, and we're called to tend to the gardens of our lives and our workplaces and the people who are there, no matter where we are, whether, whether we're a stay-at-home mom or a businesswoman, whether you're a nurse or a construction worker, whether you're an engineer or you are a teacher. Any of those places, maybe you're laid off and looking for work. Maybe you're retired and you're just kind of volunteering now. Or maybe you're a student trying to learn and being equipped so that you can get your first job. It doesn't matter. All of those things, our mindset should be, I am working at this for God. And I am his representative and his servant while I'm doing this. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not going to be without pain. It just means that the purposes that underlie our work are now redeemed because Christ has opened the way for us to work in a redeemed manner. We're still going to have thorns and thistles to contend with, aren't we? I mean, how many of you know that we have thorns and thistles to contend with, right? There's difficult circumstances that we're going to face. But when we have this mindset of working for God, that allows us, that gives us the proper approach, the proper attitude that we can now overcome those thorns and thistles. And when we begin to do that by the grace of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit, that is when people start to notice. That is when people begin to see a difference in us. And when we can really start to bring glory to God through how we're living out our lives. Does that make sense? We, we, we see how this is working together? Charles Colson, he wrote in his book, How Now Shall We Live? He said, in our materialistic culture, work is reduced to a utilitarian function, a means of attaining benefits for this world, this life, whether material gain or self-fulfillment. Work no longer has a transcendent purpose as a means of serving and loving God. No wonder then that many are questioning the very means of work. This offers Christians a rich opportunity to make the case that work is truly fulfilling only when it is firmly tied to its moral and spiritual moorings. It's time for the church to reclaim this crucial part of life, restoring a biblical understanding of work and economics. A biblical theology of work should be a frequent subject of sermons just as it was during the Reformation, when establishing one's vocation was considered a crucial element in discipleship. See, work sets us apart. And when we're doing it to the glory of God and no other, that is going to get people's attention. We don't just work for the purpose of material gain. And, yeah, we have to work to make money to live. That's part of it, right? But that's not the primary reason why we are out working heartily. It's not to make money so we can go on a nice vacation or pay our bills. It's so that we can bring glory to God 
as we represent him and serve him in the workplace. So what does that look like? What does this redeemed work look like? I'm, I'm, I'm sure you guys have a pretty good idea, but I just want to give you two, I just want to give you two practical ways, two attitudes, two mindsets that we can have as we go about our work as we wind down this sermon here. The first thing we've got to do, we've got to keep our work pure. We've got to keep our work pure. And th- this means that we don't take jobs that are going to cause us to compromise our faith. We don't take jobs that are impure. And in the jobs that we have, we don't take opportunities that might get us ahead, but would otherwise not bring glory to God. We just, we don't do that stuff. A telltale sign You want to know if you're working to the glory of God? A a telltale sign that we're just viewing our work as an opportunity for material gain or for self-fulfillment is if we're willing to compromise our standards while we work. And it also means that while we're at work, we don't compromise our standards of conduct either. It means that one we're there and all of our coworkers are behaving one way that we know isn't going to bring glory to God, we don't fall into that behavior. We don't all of a sudden just begin to curse like a sailor because everyone else is. We don't cut corners and cheat the time because everyone else is. We don't just become lazy Because it's a big company, who cares? I'm getting my work done. Well, if you can get it done faster and you can get it done more efficiently, remember who you're working for. We're working to bring glory to God. And that brings glory to God. Now, I I get that this is difficult. I get that this is not easy. Um, We have those thorns and thistles which want to make us take the easy way out. And we also have the pressure of the culture of our workplace. But that is where we shine as lights. I mean, I I worked as an attorney for four years. And this is probably, and this is probably going to surprise a lot of you. Um, And I know, you know, got to just keep your shock back here. But it's, it's hard to be an honest attorney. I know it's hard. I'm, I'm telling you, it's true. It's, it's, it's hard to be an honest attorney. But guess what? It's hard to be an honest anything in this culture, isn't it? There's always going to be an opportunity to do something dishonest to get ahead. That's just, that's going to be there. And we can't fall into that. We have to keep our work pure. But secondly, we've got to maintain an attitude of worship and excellence. Maintain an attitude of worship and excellence. I love what the 17th century monk, Brother Lawrence, had to say about this. He he was a monk in a French monastery who was given the worst job at the monastery. All he could do was cook and clean. He really couldn't do anything else. And so all day long, he just toiled in the kitchen. He had the job that none of the other monks wanted. And this is what Brother Lawrence said. 
He said, nor is it needful that we should have great things to do. We can do little things for God. I turn the cake that is frying on the pan for love of him. I do the dishes for love of him. And that done, if there is nothing else to call me, I prostrate myself in worship before him, who has given me grace to work. Afterwards, I rise happier than a king. It is enough for me to pick up but a straw from the ground for the love of God. We are working for God and no other. We are working for the love of our God, for our love for him. Yeah, we have an employer. Yeah, we have bills that we got to pay. But our work should be devoted to God. And when it's devoted to God, that should create an attitude of worship and a desire to do our jobs with excellence to the best of our ability because that brings glory to God. He deserves our constant best effort because he's given us the ability to work and so we should use it to bring him glory. And he deserves our praise as we go about doing our work because guess what? That job that you have that you might not like very much, it's a gift from God. It's still a job that you have and it's a context that you can bring him glory as we work to prepare and preserve that garden for the presence of God. Unfortunately, in many of our minds, employment and service to God have been separated and we can't fall into that trap. We can't do that. As, as we reclaim this theology of work, as we walk as children of God, we have got to remember that we are called to represent him and serve him as we prepare and preserve the gardens of our workplaces for his glory. And that brings us back to Nicholas Herman, the Frenchman who we talked about at the beginning of the talk. Now, Nicholas soon found that he couldn't handle the footman job, and there really wasn't anywhere else that he could go. And so he started banging on the doors of monasteries. And he found a monastery that would take him in, but they said, you know what? You have to do the job that no one else wants. You have to do the cooking and the cleaning and the dishes for everyone else. And he said, I will do it. I will take that job. So he got a new job, and he also got a new name. And his new name was Brother Lawrence. And Brother Lawrence, he became such a beacon of light, even to the other monks in the monastery, because of how he went about his job every day, that his reputation soon spread throughout all of Europe, and people were coming to hear how he could do this job in a way that he found so much joy in the midst of the drudgery. And the secret, he told them, was that he always, always worshipped his Lord and Savior while he worked. He had a constant mindset of worship. He constantly worked to prepare and to preserve his kitchen so that God's present could permeate every inch of the kitchen, that anyone who walked in there, even to get a loaf of bread, would know that God was in that place. And that is exactly what we are called to do in whatever job we're given. 
Wherever the Lord has placed us, we are his representatives and servants. We gotta see that work isn't a curse, it is a gift. And as we fight through the pain, as we work in the redeemed manner that Jesus has opened up for us, as we overcome these thorns and thistles, Let's ask God to help us to work heartily unto him and to prepare and preserve our gardens to receive the glory of God as he walks there with us. Amen?